Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, big tech's big surprise, and CBS seems to be nearing an inexplicable decision on Les Moonves. But first... Football. Tonight is kickoff for America's most popular professional sport, with the Atlanta Falcons taking on some team from Philadelphia. Everyone else plays Sunday or Monday, and millions of people are expected to watch either in person, on TV, or on their phones. And yep, I'll be one of them. But the NFL is also in a pretty uncomfortable place right now for a bunch of reasons that don't have much to do with one another or even what happens between the lines. First, it's become a favorite whipping boy of President Trump over the issue of kneeling during the national anthem, and that's now back in the news because of Colin Kaepernick's recent endorsement deal with Nike. Second, tonight you might see some players wearing larger helmets, ones that almost make them look a little bit like bobblehead dolls, as both the league and players try to reduce the risk of brain injury. There are also some new rule changes for the same reason, although no one quite seems to understand how they'll be applied. And finally, sports betting is now legal in four states with more to come, which means the NFL might soon have to publicly acknowledge the impact of an industry that it's long benefited from, while at the same time trying to pretend didn't exist. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on the NFL and how technology is changing the game for players with Hall of Famer Steve Young. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Steve Young, NFL Hall of Famer, current football analyst for ESPN, and co-founder and managing director of private equity firm HGGC. And that's a lot of stuff. So, Steve, let's talk a little bit here. From a player's perspective, you played, obviously, years ago. How has technology dramatically or most dramatically impacted the day-to-day for a player or game prep for a player? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just how they get the information. I used to get the game plan faxed to me on Tuesday nights so I could study it. And now you can get with how they transfer data and how they transfer film. You had to go into the facility and watch film. There's no way to take it home. And now it's just readily available. And so for quarterbacks that want to extend their expertise, the data collection, I went to law school and so much memorization, but quarterback is even more. And so the data is more readily available so that the guys who really love the data and know that that's the place to kind of extend your expertise around, you know, the Tom Brady's and the Peyton Manning's. That's how the, the greatness is defined, is how much data they could take in and, and kind of have at the tip of their fingers all the time. I'm not going to ask you to name names, but can you think back to your playing days and guys who we all kind of look back and consider to be good quarterbacks who might not have been so good because you think they're guys who just wouldn't have liked the data and therefore would have fallen further behind than they did in, in your age? Dan, almost everybody. You can almost pick a name because, and that's why I tell young players today, you know, they say, how do you do it, Steve? What's the secret? And I said, it's reflective recall of a memorization of all the tendencies in the third and 10 and going into the, in the red zone. It's not just recall, it's, it's reflexive recall. And if you can embed that into your mind, you can now be ahead come out of a huddle, now you can actually attack defenses. You can actually look for weaknesses. Steve, let's talk a little bit about concussions and and brain injury in football. Obviously, your career, you ended kind of after getting kind of your last concussion. You had a bunch of them. You've called them relatively vanilla, that that you luckily didn't suffer some of the side effects that lots of others did. Is this something that you feel football can actually mitigate with helmets and rule changes, or is it ultimately just a kind of fundamental part of a collision sport? 
Dan, it's a fundamental part of a collision sport. There's no question about that. And I think that especially when it comes to CTE and that kind of jostling the brain and, and the damage that can happen over time, science needs to help because the assumption of the risk, people who kind of bull riders and astronauts and people have a sense of what the risks are. And with CTE, people are just not sure. Science needs to help on that part. I think the game is being tried to be played safer. That's why there's so much complaining about the new rule this year in the NFL. You can be taught to tackle. The unfortunate thing for defenders is if you're going to protect your head more, you're going to put your joints at risk, your shoulders, your especially your arms, elbows, wrists, because now you have to tackle with your arms rather than be a missile. But there are ways to make it better for your brain. There's no question about that. But it's on the edges. It's not going to fundamentally change the risk profile. But there are some, you know, I think that the efforts to play safer football is real. It's not fake. From your perspective, is football then, if it's a fundamental part, is it on an inevitable long-term decline if only because so many fewer parents are willing to let their kids go play because of those risks, because they you know play a different sport, they don't want to risk it? You wonder. You look at ratings in the NFL, you wonder exactly why they're down, or is the new generation just not enjoying football as much, or is, the, is it the parents? There's no question in, in uh, where I'm in the Bay Area, San Francisco, football is, is not played as many schools. And so when you talk about the clients, it is happening. I just don't know where that ends up. I don't know what that really means because people always want to compare it to boxing and say, well, look where boxing is today, where it was in the 1970s when they used to take us out of school so we could watch Freed and Ali. I don't believe that that's the same trajectory. The good things that football brings, the teamwork and the camaraderie and the we're all together doing different jobs. There's just some great things. If we can make it on the edges safer, I think that that's the key, right? I don't know. Your kids are a little bit older, but if you had a, a newborn today in, in six, seven years, would you let, and it was a son, would you let him play? I would. I've thought about that. My boys, one is a, an actor, thespian, you know, he has no interest in football whatsoever, which is really fun for me to do something totally different. And my second boy is really, he could play football, but he, he'd rather play lacrosse and other sports. And so, but I think they said, look, I want to play football. Like, yes, if it's well coached and properly trained in high school. Your primary job now is as a business person, as an investor. So let me ask you the NFL business question, which is if you were commissioner or say you somehow controlled the owners, what would be the one thing you would change to improve the game from a business perspective? The thing that really, in my mind, changed football was when this CBA that happened, the collective bargaining agreement that came in right before, right when I was out of retiring in the late 1990s, 2000s, it, for the first time, truly brought players in as partners. And that came in as a revenue share in different ways, but it was really a fundamental shift in how owners looked at players and bringing them in as partners. Players had to force that, but in doing that, it bolted football and the NFL forward. And building true partnership is what made the difference. And that's hard to think about when you're going on the bottom line. But it truly is the difference. Do they need to go further? Because players obviously still complain that they can easily be cut and disciplined, etc. Yes, because of, to me, if I'm a businessman, I say to myself, what's going to make the long-term investment into the NFL and make sure that we're not only viable but thriving is that there's this true sense of partnership with your partners, which is on the field partners and the players. And the more that you do that, I think the more secure the success is and the longer term it is. And it might cost money on the front end, but in the long run, it's going to embed it into the success of the league. Same thing with what's happening with the Anthem. Why not find partnership so that you inspire rather than require?
right? Like, let's figure out how, kind of listen to each other and figure out how the, this incredible platform we have in the NFL to speak to the whole country in all the major cities. We can't find a way to speak with a unified voice together. That's the partnership that, that the NFL needs to think about for the long term of their health. And that's something on, on the anthem, at least the NBA seems to have done a better job on. Quick uh, lightning round, three quick questions for you before we go. The first is you began your career in the USFL and we now hear the XFL is coming back and there's something called the Alliance of American Football coming. Will the, either of those succeed? I think that both of them have a shot because they've seen the foibles of the USFL and the XFL and others that have tried, but there is a place for another league. I really believe that. I was on eBay earlier today and found hundreds of signed Steve Young football cards and jerseys. What's the strangest thing you were ever asked to sign and did you? Someone had a stuffed alligator once. And I thought that was weird. I'm not from Florida and I didn't really, but it was a stuffed alligator. I had everybody signing. I thought that was rather bizarre. And I did sign it. Yes, I did. And I don't know. <laughs> they kept it because I can tell you that's not on eBay today. And finally, you're Super Bowl picks for this season. A dream pick of the, uh, all LA. I, I just see the Chargers and Rams vying for it. And for the first time in a long, long time, we love kind of the upstarts like we did with the Eagles last year. It was an amazing run and a fun thing to watch. So for right now, I'll have a fun pick with it an all LA uh, Super Bowl. I'm glad you found that fun as a Patriots fan. I, I had a slightly different reaction to it. Thank you so much for joining us. My final two after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Big Tech's Very Strange Wednesday in Washington. Yesterday, there were two congressional hearings on tech. The first was about election interference. It was in the Senate and testifying was Facebook's Sheryl Sandberg and Twitter's Jack Dorsey. The other was in the House and it was about alleged bias on social networks with only Dorsey testifying. The story there was they were both extremely boring. In fact, we originally planned to do a special evening podcast on the hearings, but then scrapped it because there just wasn't much to say. Instead, the real news was made in between the hearings when Attorney General Jeff Sessions surprised everyone by announcing he this month will meet with state attorneys general to, quote, discuss a growing concern that these companies may be hurting competition and intentionally stifling the free exchange of ideas on their platforms. The bottom line is that Sessions seems to be talking antitrust or figuring out a way to possibly break up big companies like Facebook or Amazon or Google. It remains completely unclear how he does so under current law, or at least current interpretations of current law, but it sounds like that's exactly what Sessions is asking the state AGs to help him figure out. And finally, CNBC this morning reports that CBS is deep in settlement talks with CEO Les Moonves, who the company's been investigating for sexual harassment. Ultimately, the deal could include a $100 million golden parachute with the right to claw some of that money back if the investigation ultimately finds wrongdoing. But something just doesn't add up here. First, the investigation into Moonves should either be over by now or over very, very soon. Second, he's generally considered to be beloved by the CBS board and company shareholders. So why dump him at all if he didn't do something wrong? And if the only reason to get rid of him is because he might have done something wrong, why pay him a single nickel to leave if indeed that investigation proves wrongdoing? Again, claw back some of the money, not all of the money. Something's just very, very off here. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Grassi and Tim Shovers, please be sure to follow us all day at Axios.com and sign up for my daily newsletter at signup.axios.com. Have a great National Read a Book Day, and I'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata podcast.